that is a perfect sign that there is some healing that needs to be done in your life. The minute that the blame and the responsibility starts being projected outside of yourself, yep. that means that there is some instability within you that needs healing, strengthening, and loving and self-worth and deserving power really needs to be um, to worked on because fulfillment is not outside there. I'll say that till I'm fucking blue in the face. Fulfillment is not outside of yourself. Fulfillment is inside. Fulfillment is found within and then you allow that to ripple out of you. gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. I'm welcoming the winter version of Monique Barry. She's adorned in black. Her hair looks darker. Her skin is fairer. I don't know what is going on. (laughs) How are you? It's so nice to talk to you. I feel like it has been forever to be honest actually it has been a very very long time it's been between. a long time since our last podcast mm-hmm. and just life it's just been a bit how you going you know a bit here there and everywhere <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> how are you i'm do i dare i say i'm good yeah well, dare you, you do off say if that. i say I'm yeah good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm really good. Let's see how much I can annoy you today. (laughs) I reckon there's going to be a few topics. (laughs) Um, It is so, yeah, it's so great to hear from you. And I'm glad that you're going well. I genuinely mean that with every bit of my heart. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? Um, Okay. Well, uh, I rebranded and relaunched my company, which has been really exciting. I have an employee now, so it's nice to be an official It's amazing. Yeah, and I'm going on my first co-parenting holiday with my ex and our son next week to Queenstown. So this is a pretty big deal for us. I hope it goes Uh, exponentially better than ours did. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) back to yours. Yes, that's awesome. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. (laughs) You're like, great, thanks. Already getting off on yeah, getting off on a strong note. Um, that's amazing though. Going down to Queenstown, which is just so beautiful. Yeah. I'm just feeling though, like one thing I am really feeling, I think Qantas just announced this morning that they're canning all international flights to March. I don't know if it was this morning. And I do have this, yeah, have this feeling a little bit about feeling kind of like trapped, backed into a corner here. And it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm, you know, really feeling angsty to go traveling overseas or anything like that. But having my freedom to choose taken away from me yeah. uh, feels, it doesn't, just does not feel very good. And so that's probably the only roughness that I'm really experiencing is trying to, no matter how much freedom you can create in your own life, there's still external circumstances that really remind you that, that, <clears throat> that kind of external freedom is very limited when 
and almost in and almost in someone else's hands as well that's what's probably really unsettling like Like, when am i gonna see my friends when am i really did they say you guys might not even be able to come to australia till march well who fucking knows that's the thing there's no yeah anyway especially with melbourne victoria where i live just going absolutely haywire with a second wave that was way worse than the first. And so everyone now in the last two days has just been going on and on and whispers and rumors about a stage four lockdown, which is, I think what you guys had, we never got there last time. Um, So I, and I've been working the last few days and every day I've covered COVID stuff. And I think just yesterday by like the afternoon, I think I just reached my limit of thinking and talking about it. And it just made me so super anxious. Um, I got that in lockdown as well. I was just like, no more news. Like um, for for the first week or so, we're like, there was a, uh, you know, like a broadcast every Mm. day, whatever. And we'd tune into that. And then I was just like, no, I just can't listen to Mm. this anymore. And I just need to enjoy my experience for what it is. And, you know, really stay in my bubble, literally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, just working within it, you're talking and thinking and reading up about it all day. And then just for the last four, four out of the last five days. And then just yesterday afternoon, I just, I just felt started to feel really anxious and down about it. And that kind of carried on to just these crying bursts of tears. And then I've woken you know, had an awful sleep, woken up feeling really anxious. And I just think it's that, I think in Melbourne, especially, we just feel like what's coming next. Like it, it, yeah. I think it feels over for a lot of people in different areas of Australia, particularly, and, you know, New, New Zealand's eradicated it. But for us, it's like, what is going to happen next? How bad are the numbers going to be next? What's going to be taken away from us next? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it starts to take its toll. So, and I just, you know, speaking to so many people, everyone just in Melbourne just feels so down. Like it's just this yeah. collective of just are out you know we were just starting to feel a little bit better and I've just been feeling really down in general about other other things and the only things that were kind of getting me through was finding a beautiful spots to go bushwalking and getting in nature and hanging out with my friends and both those things have been taken away so you just think yeah far out it's just yeah it's just a bit scary I know yeah. I know I, I thought we we're done <laughs> yeah when we were in quarantine as well it was like waves like I'd be feeling really good yes and then like oh like fuck this and then back and forth it was very to and front it was very yeah this is why um you know self-care mm. and finding stability in your spiritual practice well for me during quarantine was very very important Great yeah. start to our podcast. Yeah, guys. this isn't, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, this, if this was a live one, we'd just yeah. be watching all the people that had tuned in initially, just slowly, just <laughs> gone now. Um, I promise we're a lot of fun. <laughs> um, it, so, yeah, but anyway, you shared this meme and it was really hilarious and it was like July 2020 and it was the aliens being like, yes, it's our turn next. And <laughs> I feel like that sums it up. I know we're getting a lot of learnings. I know that twenty. 20 had to happen. I know it was the breaking point, but can it just fucking be over? I think I'm done. I think I've reached my threshold. I need a break. I need a break. I need, yeah, but the, you know what I was thinking? You know, we all seem to think it's defined by being 2020. Who knows what 2021 is going to bring? It's probably going to carry into that as well. But yeah. Anyway, I'm kind of exhausted. The pl- energy in the planets have been hectic. I'm not qualified enough to give you all a rundown, but every goddamn planet's pro pretty much been in retrograde so that's been super fun there's been all these full moon new moon eclipses that are supposed to be bringing up all your old shit to the surface so that's been really fun to deal with um flash not fun 
fun at all. And like, <clears throat> sometimes mm. I forget about the influence, even though that is a very big part of my life. And I'll be like, why am I so feeling so fucked up Same. right now? Why can't <laughs> I sleep? And then I'm like, oh yeah, it's full moon. Oh yeah, there's an eclipse happening. Oh yeah, Mercury retrograde's finishing up. So Oh, I always do the thing where I read the description of what's happening. So if it's the eclipse and it will be like, things that you've been suppressing are going to come up to the surface. And I'm like, it's not me. Like I want nothing that's going to happen. I'm like, I don't think so. And then next minute it's like, why is all this happening to me? Why is everything coming to the surface? And I, I do it every time or, or it'll be like a period. Yeah. It'll be like relationships will be tested and this will happen. This will happen. Please planets. <laughs> I don't think so. I feel I so that. good. <laughs> and then I'm always impacted, but, um, yeah, I think of the universal, we can sum up this point with, yeah, we're done with 2020. And what I also want to know from you <laughs> is what you're reading, watching, listening to, please, ASAP. Okay. Not soon. <clears throat> I'm, read- <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading Attached by Amir Levine, which is a book on attachment styles, which we're going to be talking about today yes. because it has been like mind blowing for me learning about myself and critically thinking about how I operate in relationships. So it's going to be really interesting talking about that, but it's a great, easy read. You can skip through the parts that Love relate it. to you. Yep. Yeah. So I've been reading that. I've been watching because <laughs> I watch fucked up things like this. I've been watching The Dark on Netflix, which is oh, actually... That is the most Scorpio sun and Scorpio moon <laughs> thing that you could have ever said. <laughs> Go and it's in, yeah, it's in German and it's like oh. a time traveling <laughs> apocalyptic thing. <laughs> So I really have to pay attention. Yeah, you can't pick up your phone. Can't pick up my phone. And the first episode was so scary. It literally took me three days to get through one episode, but now it's all good. So um, I'm watching that. It's very, honestly, very good. It's very mind-blowing. And then I'm listening to How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. I think I said his name right. Okay. It is an amazing book on how to be actively anti-racist through your actions sort of scattered through his own personal experiences being a black man. So I'm listening to that on, I haven't heard any great podcasts lately and I'm just not. Apart from Lemonade, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Um, But I just feel a bit overwhelmed by information at the moment. So I'm Mm -hmm. enjoying listening to like snippets of stuff um, rather than big long things um, podcast wise or just audio books. Yeah, that's true. I've not been, I put out a shout out on Instagram recently for people to give me podcast suggestions. Cause I'm just not feeling very inspired mm. by much that's out there. Yeah, maybe just maybe it's more of a reflection Same. Yes. Mm. I think I know like this, I know I'll know when I stumble upon it, but I haven't stumbled upon it. However, yeah. that being said, and it just reminded me, I recently finished listening to, and I think you would enjoy it. It's called Dying for Sex and that's a podcast and it goes for about, yeah. So initially you're like, what's this about? And it goes for six episodes and it is, my one criticism, and I feel it's very overproduced, but the content in it is really raw and incredible. And it's basically two best friends and one of which has been diagnosed with terminal cancer and the best friend is interview. And so basically what happens is she gets diagnosed with terminal cancer and she decides to leave her marriage, which she wasn't happy in any way. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I actually, I don't know why I've not. I feel like this. Like, yeah. I think I would like this. Yeah. And you've got to stick with it because, and then it goes into, and then she decides that she just wants to explore her sexuality and explore different, yeah, um, like date different men and try out different sexual experiences and, 
and kind of just live her life and have this freedom. So the first few episodes are very kind of almost sex in the city ish. And I'm a bit, I was a bit like, mm, should I stick with this? I don't know. But then it turns just very raw and vulnerable and honest. And it was really incredible, profound listening that by the end, I think, yeah, really touches you and will stay with you forever. And that's all I'll really say. I think, yes. So that I actually have in my notes here, I'm listening to not that much, but I know I did listen to that and I really enjoyed it. You haven't touched on anything else. (laughs) I know. Yeah. So I highly suggest that. And it was just the most beautiful testament to this beautiful love and friendship that these two women have as well, which I think is really important and special. I just finished reading Where the Crawdads Sing, which oh, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll notice that I... That's meant to be a hard read to start with. Initially, I was like, do I continue with this? I'm hating it. And ha- it was pretty torn. A lot of people were like, don't, no, scrap it. And I think you were like, put it in the bin. And then a lot of people were like, no, keep going. And then once I persevered, it's actually really beautiful. And it was one of those books that I don't know if you experience this or I'm this big oversensitive weirdo where, where when you finish it, you feel like it's kind of touched this like part of your soul that you don't really tap into that much. And it kind of just sits with you and you get that like heavy belly, like sinking heart feeling. And you just sit there in these really deep emotions. Just, just I felt like that when I read normal people, cause I was like, <laughs> So many people had it with that. I did not. I know you didn't, but I did. (laughs) But with this one, yeah, these books and they just kind of sit with you and they just, yeah, they tap into this part of you that perhaps you haven't explored or perhaps you suppress. And, and it's a, and I love it because it's a, I think uh, above all, it's a many things, but it is also a story about a fucking badass, kick-ass woman taking shit into her own hands. So I think that's yeah. always very needed in this world. And then speaking of badass, amazing, incredible women, I just finished watching The Great on Stan. Have you Is it good? I haven't seen it. We don't have Stan here in New Zealand, but. Oh my God. Sure it's on it is the best show I've ever watched. Oh, <gasps> have you seen 365 Days? That's like a Netflix porn. Uh, yeah, I've heard it's a bit porny. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I haven't. So I love it. <laughs> yeah, um, the great though. It is a satire of Catherine the Great. Bear with me. It is Ooh. not like some like old school political like BBC thing. It is. It's Elle Fanning stars as Catherine the Great, and oh. it is just so hilariously funny, endearing. Okay. Like she is absolutely incredible. By the end of it, I was inspired to overthrow a regime of myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. If you have not started watching it, I almost want you to stop fin- listening to this podcast and go and watch it, but I won't say that. So wait till the end and then go <laughs> watch it. It's just so bloody good. And they've just announced season two is starting. So Ooh, very excited. How I'll see if I can find that. So add that to your notes, please. Have. Oh, are you talking to me or to listen? Um, both. <laughs> I've written. I've written down lots of things so far. Awesome! I'm so glad that you're learning something from me. <laughs> um, and I wanted to ask, please, if you could please share with the listeners, since you are the oil queen. Yeah, it's so funny. So, um, Bam asked me to pick an oil of the month, and I was thinking this morning. And I I'm Bam, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, so <laughs> that is Elizabeth. my name that um, my family have called me since I was very little, Bambi. Yeah. And I'm basically her family. So, basically. anyway, <laughs> just adopted Kiwi Brown girl <laughs> sister. Uh, anyway, Who I've so never Bam- met. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have to slide that in there every episode and talk yep. to me. 
But uh, she asked me to pick an oil of the month and it was really funny because I picked a vetiver and then this morning, as soon as we got on, she was like, oh, I just woke up and I had to rub vetiver on my heart. And I was like, fuck off because that's the oil that I've chosen. And I just chose it because I feel like the, it's a, it's such a beautiful, rich, Mm. deep earthy smell for one. Um, It's part of my daily routine and has been basically since I discovered it. But I feel like the energy out in the collective has been very, quite scattered mm. and very unsettled. And vetiver has a very grounding effect. It's very centering. If you think about the roots of the vetiver plant, um, for one, they're really great for preventing erosion where they grow because the roots go straight down. They're really dense and they're really stabilized at the earth that they grow in. And so if you think about that energy being brought in through the essential oil, um, I just think it's a great way to ground and center yourself and um, feel much more connected and present emotionally. Um, and so applying it on your heart and diffusing it before bed. And um, it's quite a thick mm-hmm. oil. Super thick. Um, you have yeah, to kind so of hold it upside down for a while before anything comes to, out. Yeah, I've you can get droppers and stuff like that for them, which I had to do because I'm the most impatient person in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just it's just a it's such a beautiful oil to start with. Um, like if you've had a shower in the evening and just rubbing some on your heart before you go to bed will really help you feel really centered. So yeah, oil of I love that. Oh, I could listen to you speak for so long. You should do ah. your own podcast. I would listen. <laughs> I can't be <laughs> It's a lot of work. Um, now, keeping up with our spiritual theme, which we did last month and we both loved and I hope you guys all liked it too because we really did. Well, we like hearing about ourselves, so. <laughs> liked it. Um, I have pulled a tarot card for both of us. Okay, cool. And I am going to start with mine only because then it mm. leads incredibly effortlessly into yours, which is amazing. Okay. So for the card I pull for myself is the High Priestess, which I will, which you can Google, which is a beautiful looking card, but I'm holding it up to mm. me. Mm. And so the summary is that um, the High Priestess is represents feminine energy. Mm-hmm. She is receptive and indirect. She does not talk to you in the normal way. She speaks to you through your dreams and via your intuition. So you can sense things. The High Priestess represents your perception and intuition. Mm. And then in a reading... So that's the summary. But in a reading, um, she's the queen of universal love, not human love. It's like how God loves us love, how the Virgin Mary loves us. This is divine love. She represents things that are hidden from us, dark and mysterious things. The veil is up. We need to see through the veil. Something will be revealed or you are holding onto the truth. Read between the lines. She's the secret keeper and connects you to your subconscious role as a woman. So um, when the high priestess shows up in your spread, she's saying you to trust your intuition and your feelings and you'll get your answers from within. And I feel like that's a really beautiful card. And then it is also the card. Her astrology sign is um, the moon is the astrological ruler of this card. The card I pulled for you is a motherfucking moon. (laughs) So I basically rule you. Yeah, I guess that means that. But like, they're so <laughs> intrinsically linked. Wow. I was like, that we is always incredible. have weird shit like this happen. Every Very. podcast, something. It's almost like happen. I planned it, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> so, the, and this, the moon, I know from my own readings. Oops, I just 
knock the mic. And from what my mum has taught me, because my mum is a tarot card reader, is that the moon is all about things coming up to the surface that you're ready to deal with as well. Oh, yeah. This is so relevant. Um, so for some people, the moon card can be an uncomfortable card because things from the past might be coming up that you thought you were already handled. For, experience, for example, you may feel the difference between walking through a familiar park in the daylight or at night. It's familiar, but the shadows are around you and you can feel spooked, which I think is really apt. Um, and then in a reading, um, the mood brings up all your sub- unconscious issues. Remember that insight could come through your dreams, your psychic abilities, your intuitive senses, or even through astrology. It's about receiving messages from your unconscious world. So tune into your dreams, your inner hermit through ways like meditation, open up to what your inner self is trying to tell you. It's not a good time for making decisions. Maybe wait 24 hours. Mm. Feelings yeah. from the past could be frightening for some. Old memories could come <laughs> fighting back. And they're both very kind of similar cards. Um, yeah. And how does that sit with you? Oh, that is <clears throat> it's a bit scary because that's literally my experience that I've had lately. And this, I guess, will segue really nicely into attachment theory because it. it's really been my my. I'm not an I'm not an expert in attachment theory. All I know is like how it's been relevant to me, and I guess how it's um, not forced me because I've been a willing participant to really look at these deep house subconscious beliefs that I have around emotional bonds with other people and my strategies to basically. Um, I don't know, deal with that and how that's manifesting in my relationships, friendships and love relationships and stuff like that. It's been very, very interesting. Mm. Mm. Love mm. that's And cause you've messaged me and you said, I'm reading this book about attachment theory and I'm just, yeah. and you were, were like, should we chat this in the podcast? So yeah. that does. Yeah. So do you so feel I- like almost this kind of this theory and these attachment styles is what's coming up and is being brought to the surface. A la yeah, definitely moon for card. me because yep. before it started off with a very synchronistic conversation that I had with my friend who's a psychologist and she was actually talking about a conversation that she'd had with this guy and she's like, Oh, he's very avoidant. And I said to her, what do you mean by avoidant? You know, can you talk to me about it? She's super intelligent and very well articulated. And she started talking to me about attachment theories and, uh, what an avoidant person is, what a secure person is, and what an anxious person is. And as she was talking through avoidant, it was just like click, click like tick, wow. tick, tick, and everything was clicking into place. And I was like, holy fuck, that sounds like all the kinds of things that I do and that I'm experiencing in relationships. And so it was very confronting for me. Anyway, she recommended a book, which was uh, the one that I just mentioned before by Amelia Levine. And I started reading through it and the book basically discusses the ways that we um, bond emotionally with people and how we respond to intimacy in relationships and, um, and yeah, discusses our attachment styles. And so mm. the three attachment mm. styles that um, are talked about, and there's subcategories of each of these, but the three main ones are um, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment style and secure attachment style. I basically only read about my own, but I did touch on <laughs> I did touch on others because it's relevant when you're thinking about the different kinds of relationships that you have in your life and what their attachment styles are. Um, but basically starting with avoidant, it's this idea that um, my strategy to deal with emotional bonds is to withdraw that's Mm -hmm. that's 
well. So the minute someone starts to get close to me and I start feeling like my comfort zones are being tested and stretched, I actually start to withdraw from that person, cut them off, pull away. I'm very non-committal with people. Um, and I tend to distance myself and create separateness. Whereas someone who is anxious, their strategy when there is a side of threat to their emotional bonds would be to, um, would compel them to get closer. So they would um, try and reestablish connection at any cost. They might act a little bit manipulative, manipulatively, uh, acting jealous, you know, putting their partner on a pedestal and they view their relationship as very fragile and unstable. Mm -hmm. Whereas someone who's avoidant would be like, I don't need people. And they would probably confuse independence with actually yes. someone. Like we can do is. that a little bit, I think. Yeah, we can say, and yeah. I think it's almost this empowerment movement that we, you know, women can choose and do what we yeah. want to do and be with what we want to be. But sometimes that veil of independence is really yeah. probably acting a little bit avoidant. Yeah, and definitely for me, like I am the kind of person who would be like, like, I don't need anybody. But the mm. reality is, is that my, you know, deep down, I really do actually want closeness with somebody or people in general. And I do want to um, have my relationships evolve in a way that is evolutionary for me and the other person. But the minute that I start feeling vulnerable, which I'm perceiving vulnerability as a threat, then I start to withdraw and I start to be like, oh, criticizing the other person, which I, it's not a conscious thing that I'm doing. It's just the way that I have, wow. you know, that, that my ego structure has um, sort of like put in place to protect me from being hurt, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Um, then you also mentioned secure attachment. Secure. Oh yeah. Who cares about them? They're great. They're <laughs> You've got no problems. <laughs> you got no problems. You're fine. <laughs> Whatever, don't let you. I, I, I always feel like it's not for you. I was about to say, I feel like if you're a secure attachment, you're probably not listening to any kind of self-love because you're just perfect. Yeah. I think in parenting, I am a very secure parent yeah. um, and a secure parent. I guess a secure attachment style would be very like giving the person permission to be who they are without it needing to mean anything about you and able to effectively communicate your needs, wants and desires, um, those kinds of things. So I would say that probably my parenting is the only relationship mm. where I feel confidently secure. Um, but I've also done a lot of work when it comes to being an awakened parent and being very conscious and thoughtful with how I parent my son. But yeah, it's really interesting actually how they kind of discovered, I don't know if that's the right um, verbiage, but how they discovered attachment theory was that they did this test study where they had a child and a mother in a room or something like that. And <clears throat> they would measure the child's response. So they would have the child playing in the room with the mom, for example, and the mom would leave the room and they would measure their internal response and their external response. So an avoidant child, the mum would leave the room and they'd, they'd, they'd externally act like they didn't give a shit. But internally, they're actually having a quite a big stress response to mm -hmm. the mum leaving. And then vice versa, when the mum would return, uh, they would also keep, like pretend like they aren't bothered by her return as well. But there's some... Wow. Um, stress response and versus an anxious person like an anxious child the mum would leave and the child would very much feel like really cling and try and bring mum back so they're having an external and an internal stress yes. response mum would return and they would feel very clingy and, and be afraid that they were going to leave again and stuff like that so it was very interesting and then 
sort of relating that to adult relationships. To Absolutely. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of research on this, mm-hmm. no, I've certainly not read a book. Just, this mm-hmm. is just Googling. And I think for much of my life, I identified with a secure attachment. I just <laughs> felt, I just, yeah. Lol. Lol. That's not anymore. Um, you know, I, I always kind of, that just felt, I just never clung to relation. I was ever clingy to relationships. Um, but I was always wholeheartedly in it at the same time as well. Yeah. Um, and then I think, I think what's interesting is that your attachment style can change from what Mm -hmm. I learned. You know, it's not like you, you were born with it and, or circumstances happen in your life and it dictates your style and that is it for the rest of your life. You know, they can um, deviate and they can mold to what's happened um, in your life or just external circumstances. And I then discovered I, in the latter stages of my relationship with my ex-fiance, I started to become a very anxious attachment Mm -hmm. And I identified with all of that um, and I could see that that's, you know, in hindsight at the time I didn't know that, but now I can look back and go, oh, God, I got, I was very anxious attachment to him. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was subliminally, subconsciously, I should say, me picking up on him totally withdrawing from me. So, yeah, you know, that. And anxious attachment styles tend to attract avoidant and vice versa, mm, mm, I which that. I find, yeah, mm. which I find very interesting um, because uh, they're really opposing. Like the more that uh, anxious person tries to get close to the avoidant person, the more the avoidant person withdraws, like, withdraws yes. and it creates this like really fucking fucked up cycle yeah. of coming That's, in and coming out and coming in and coming out. Yeah. And really turbulent. Yeah, totally. That resonates yeah. with what it was like towards the end. Yeah. Um, and then I, I had a, re- I, a little while after I had another relationship and I identified a lot with being very avoidant in that. Oh, and yeah, when well. I, Yep. And when I look back on that and I, when I read what an avoidant attachment is, I was very avoidant. I don't think I ever really properly let him in. And I think that was a result of being so hurt and so burnt and um, Mm. being too afraid to do that. So I think that is a really interesting point to, you know, discuss that it doesn't define you forever and it can change, but just being aware of that can really help how you approach relationships and 100% has helped me like Mm. um one thing that the book really talks about firstly is like being really honest about actually what you're desiring from relationships and recognizing or having a win like bringing awareness to um the strategies that you are activating or deactivating to um bring people close or push them away kind of a Mm. thing so I'm quite avoidant in pretty much all of my relationships. (laughs) And so for me, it was like just recognizing, like, I actually do want to be close to people and I do want to progress in my friendships and my love relationships and noticing like, Oh, here I am criticizing. Like I got sent flowers, for example, this is a very avoidant thing to do. And I just left them on the floor. (laughs) Cause I was like, I don't need flowers. And then my ex actually said to me, he was like, you complain when you don't get flowers mm. and you complain when you do get flowers. And so I was like, okay, here is a, a strategy that I'm using to wow. withdraw and criticize. Like, oh, who sends, oh, oh, who sends flowers? <laughs> I just flicked my earphone. Sorry, out of my ear. <laughs> she who was being flowers? so, you're being so like that emoji <laughs> that you flicked, <laughs> being so into it. 
Yep. And so I pick them up and I put them in water and I put them in a beautiful spot in my house. Yeah. And I sent a message to say thank you and how much. And once I was al- allowed myself to be vulnerable, I was like, oh my God, I actually love getting flowers, you know? Wow. That is such yeah. a profound example of, yeah. I guess, being aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it, where that comes from and bring that awareness to alter your behavior to yeah. be more in line with who you're wanting to be rather than what you've yeah. only known to be. What contributes to our style? You know, is it is it something that's happened in childhood? Is it relation relationships we've had? Like what what makes what gives us the foundations to lean more towards one style? I think that and this is not like just um sort of directed at attachment styles. I think that our personality and what we identify as now is um all kinds of experiences that we've had throughout our life, starting obviously with our childhood and the experiences that we've had. And then as we move through adulthood, have we, are we able to prove those experiences that we had as children true mm. through adult, like teenage and adult experiences? Because what happens is, is we develop an idea or a belief system in childhood about something that's true for us. Um, and then we pull more experiences into our life that prove that idea true. And then they become cemented into our ego structure, which then forms part of our personality and what we identify as. And so this idea of personal growth and spirituality is really about unraveling all wow. of the things that we've been told are true about ourselves so that we can really connect into the truth of who we are. So like if I was to use myself as an example, I would say that how my parents were um, when I was a child, which was that, um, you know, it was a very traumatic childhood for me back then. Uh, and I thought that nobody, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Um, I deserve to be, ba- I, I, and so what I had created for myself was like, I don't need anybody. I'm mm-hmm. going to distance myself. Then nobody can hurt me. And then I would pull in experiences throughout my life that prove that true. You know, like my best friend suddenly not wanting to be friends with me anymore. I'm like, of course, someone else leaving me or being cheated on. Of course that happens. That's what I deserve, you know? Wow. So um, that would, that's sort of like what attributed to my personal style. And it might not be so black and white. You don't have to have a traumatic childhood for you to develop these uh, personalities or identify as a particular attachment style or whatever. It can be honestly like really small, but meaningful, impactful um, Mm. experiences Mm. that you've had in your life. Like a boy that you really like telling you he doesn't like you or tripping over in front of a crowd of people and everybody laughing. And I'm just using very like vague. Yeah. Could it even be observing a parent, even if they weren't like that to you, you might've observed them being like that to their, to their partner, if they separated or your other parent. Yeah. I mean that that's like learning through a symbiotic experience where you're absorbing your environment and be Mm -hmm. like, Oh, well, that's just how women get treated. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's just how a man is, you know? those kinds of belief systems that come from not direct experience, but sort of like inherited uh, what's community from, from your community and your social circles and familial experiences and stuff like that. Yeah. And what can, if people are interested in what you're saying and about this mm-hmm. whole attachment theory, what can they go do? What can they go read? You've, you've recommended one book, but is there something that people can go do to kind of investigate further? 
Um, well, I mean, see a therapist, <laughs> <laughs> which is very helpful. <laughs> um, I think like, what's something that's really, really good. There's, I mean, there's tons of things that somebody can do for, for one, like meditating and all of those kinds of practices that help you connect in with yourself. But in terms of this particular thing, something that's been really powerful to me that's outlined in the book is learning how to effectively communicate. And the book talks about five principles, and I probably butcher it, but five principles of effective communication and like actively practicing these things, whether it be journaling or, you know, applying them in real life, real time um, is being vulnerable. So being really emotionally brave with what you need, um, learning how to focus on communicating your needs. So I need, so for example, if someone is attaching to me, and I'm feeling the need to withdraw, I would communicate my needs by saying, I need a little bit of space because I'm feeling overwhelmed. Rather than just shutting them out. Rather than just shutting out. Sure. um, Being really, really specific um, about what it is that you need, not blaming the other person, which is what I would tend to do. Like, oh, they're the fucked one and I'm amazing and perfect. Actually saying like, oh, I'm I'm withdrawing here and I can see that this is my patterning and blah, blah, blah. And then also being non-apologetic, which especially as women, we tend to do being really like, oh, I'm so sorry, but... Or, um, you know, I really hate to tell you this, but, you know, actually just being really assertive with our needs and being non-apologetic so that we can create a safe space to communicate and not, if the other person is reactive, that's not got anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. That's got to do with, with sort of like what their experience is. Yeah. So effective communication and actively applying that and really just being conscious about when you're starting to notice these patternings coming up and how they're stopping you from really living like a full and rich life and having full and rich relationships. And this might segue quite effortlessly once again. I don't know how we always manage to do this with our next topic because the attachment styles probably have a lot to do with infidelity and cheating. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that can come into probably anxious and avoidant personalities can, um, be tempted by having an Mm -hmm. affair and by cheating. And I I think the question that I want to pose to you (laughs) is cheating ever. Okay. And go. (laughs) Is cheating ever. Okay. I'm nervous to answer this one because I feel like my opinion on cheating is very polarizing. And the first thing that I think we need to eliminate is this idea that cheating is okay or bad because when we label it as good or bad, then we're actually stopping the real conversation that really needs to be happening underneath that. I read this book, of course I did. I read this book uh, called State of Affairs and it was by Esther Perel, who has literally the most amazing, interesting podcast about relationships. She's a therapist. And she talks about um, the need to have a different kind of conversation around cheating because when somebody cheats, it's actually never about, of course, the other person is affected in the relationship, but it's actually never about the other person. And cheating happens because the, the cheater, I'm mean, going to say the cheater, uh, is either having experiencing some kind of suffering or, and sometimes cheating is really a, an exploration of the self and self-discovery. Mm-hmm. But societal beliefs that cheating is bad basically pushes that person into 
secrecy and shame, the secrecy and shame cycle, um, which then perpetuates more suffering for mm. basically everybody. So is cheating ever okay? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the really important thing to get out of the way is that nothing is ever that black and white and good and no. bad. And although my pattern is to ten- tends to put things into those really simple categories into those boxes of good, bad, right, wrong. Um, mm. the, uh, the, the truth is always somewhere in between. And yeah. as someone who has been cheated on, was it ever my fault? No, but I think it's always a really good, and I, I, I may have even discussed this before, but I think it's a really valuable question in your healing process to delve into the role you played or the part you played in, um, if you've been cheated on or and to take responsibility for your part. And that does not mean associate blame to yourself, but just look back at, and I've got to be kind of delicate with saying this because you don't want to be saying that you've done the wrong thing. And I don't, I certainly don't think I did it anything wrong or did the wrong thing, but who was I back then? Mm. Was I clear with what I wanted and who I was? No was the answer to both of those things. Um, were some of the decisions I made kind of made when I was in this kind of fantasy land that I had with my ex, you know, this kind of fantasy real- fantasy that I wanted to believe that what, what we were and how removed was that from the actual reality of what we were? Mm. Um was it even that surprising that there, there was an affair? Like none of, no, it actually isn't yeah. surprising, but I, I chose to kind of have blinkers on for um, what the relationship actually was and who my ex, ex actually was. And, and that's the role, that's the responsibility I can take. And that's the, that's the role that I need to delve into. And that's something that has always been a factor for me is that I can really easily slip into this fantasy land, ignore red flags, ignore these blinkers. And, you know, it it, it never ends well (laughs) because, you know, and that's hard to do. I think when you've just, you know, you're feeling all the pain and the hurt and the anger and the betrayal, it can be really hard to go, I didn't fucking do anything wrong. This isn't my fault, yeah. but um, I, it takes some time to get to the point to sit down and have a really true and honest conversation with yourself. Okay. Well, who was I? What was I? What was I expecting? And I, you know, I look back and I realize I had a lot of really great expectations, huge expectations on him that he pro- probably felt he couldn't deliver to me. And yeah. 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 But I think like, I think as well, you won't believe the amount of women that cheat as well. And Mm. they cheat because not because they hate their husband or their husband's doing all these things wrong. They cheat because they want to discover their sexuality. They cheat because they feel ashamed of who they are and what they're doing and that they have these desires that they don't know how to communicate to other people. Now, does that make it okay? I mean, not necessarily. It doesn't always make it wrong. Um, and I just think, I mean, it's such a complex, I don't want to say complicated because it's not complicated. It's such a complex issue that is so couple determined, Mm. um, that, I mean, we could just scratch the surface of it yesterday and not even get to any depth about what's Mm. going on. But firstly, like, I think if you're, if you've cheated man or woman, you have to be willing to look at 
that. I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, it was just sexual and it made me feel good or, oh, it's just emotional and there was nothing sexual about it. Really, you have to be willing to look at the layers underneath the action that you're taking to see what's really, really going on for you, um, for you to need to get that outside of the context of your relationship or feel like you can't communicate mm. that with your partner in a safe and vulnerable way. And then a partner's like, when you're talking about responsibility here, like we don't want to be like, oh, you know, he cheated on me because I wasn't enough. That's not the thought mm. that we need to be having here because. And that gets you stuck too. You can stay stuck in that loop stuck. for a very yeah. long time. Speaking from past it, experience. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes it very much about you and it's, it's not about you. Um, That's what, such an important is, point. It's, it's not about you. Point. And you've got to delve into um, and really explore that and accept that it wasn't you. And mm-hmm. as you said earlier, that it was, it's almost always stuff that they've had going on in their own heads and it is always a result of them. And you can, as women, we can blame how we're not skinny enough, we're not pretty enough and we're not this enough and this enough. And I've done all of that kind of stuff. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it wasn't anything I could have said or done or been it would have happened regardless, you know, and I think that's a huge thing that women and men as well have to acknowledge that it wasn't. And I, yeah. And I think like a better thing that would like a way that you can invest your energy much better rather than spiraling into that, not poor me and victim mentality. I don't want to like minimize anyone's experience, but a better way that you can invest your energy is what's going on for them. How can I connect deeper with them uh, if you get to that point and you realize this is not worth my time because they're not a willing participant yep. in this conversation, that's when you put up your boundary and you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to tolerate this if you're not willing to connect deeper with me and explore gr- growing together. That's when I would say like, you know, bye Felicia. Yeah, totally. if they are willing to have a conversation and we can remove the shame and secrecy, you actually have an opportunity to really deepen your relationship and connection with each other and connect in a more beautiful and meaningful way. And so you have to get out of yourself. You have to stop making it about you and start thinking of the relationship as its own separate entity and energy instead of I'm me and I'm having this experience and you're you and you're having this experience. And and your experience is wrong. Yeah, Yeah, your experience is wrong and I'm right and you better fucking make it up to me or the other person. You know, it's it's so unhelpful and it's such a waste of energy. Um, But both parties have to be willing. That goes back to the question, is it ever okay? I mean, there are examples out there of, as you said, there's been there's been infidelity in relationships and people have come back so much stronger and have a much more fulfilling and deeper connection as a result of this indiscretion, as a yeah. result of what's happened. But then other, you know, other times it is the, it is the, it's, it's just the final straw, really. Yeah. When you look back, it's, you know, I, I don't know, it, this is a big call, but I just don't think two really happy people who are growing together, that would happen. No, because again, communication and vulnerability and safety with what your experience is like. I have coached so many women who have not been cheated on. I mean, certainly been cheated on, but most of them have been 
people like have committed adultery themselves mm. and it's never been a place of it's always been about self-exploration and it's always been riddled with shame mm. and guilt and and women are this, ha- judged so much harsher as well i think so as well. so so much harsher and i think the narrative really needs to change on a societal level firstly about women's sexuality um because you've put here in the notes and i thought it was really interesting about the psychology today they're too two kinds of cheating mm. one is sexual the other is emotional and men are most likely to commit sexual cheating and women are more likely to commit but that takes away this idea that women are not sexual mm. beings mm-hmm. that they don't have desire that they don't have wants and needs and that men aren't really wanting that deep emotional connection you know these are societal beliefs that we really need to like eliminate and the other is is that we need to get out of the societal belief that cheating is bad so that we can have different kinds of conversations and create a different narrative around building a strong relationship. It's also worth mentioning here too. I've got a survey here and as you said, women do do it and you've spoken to women that it's, that have had affairs. Um, It's not just always men. And this stat I found says that 55% of men and 50% of women surveyed in this study admitted to cheating. You know, that's mm. not that different. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that would different. surprise a lot of people. I think a lot of people would assume that then that the, that would be, yeah, scaled far higher for men rather than women, but it's it's really not. It's almost on par. Yeah. And and, and I don't know. I think this patriarchal system is that oh we're not surprised when a man cheats of course mm-hmm. the woman's not satisfying him and but when a woman cheats we're like oh the fucking the she's nerve a, of her how dare she she's, she's every name under the sun yeah like yeah. Uh, i just find i just find that really interesting um i, I think yeah we've we, you know we've looked at that you know that it can it can help strengthen and it uh, within a relationship but then at the all the also at the same time, if you decide that it's not working, it can also be the building blocks and of building up your own self-worth and love and mm-hmm. using as an opportunity to, as I mentioned earlier, explore parts of yourself that wouldn't have been highlighted had you not experienced what you're feeling. And it does really, really hurt. It's, it's you know, I think it's, it's a marriage breakdown, which here I've got as well that it's infidelity is listed as the number one cause of marriage breakdown, but a marriage breakdown, divorce, being cheated, being cheated on by your significant other are all considered one of the major life traumas that you can go through. So Mm -hmm. it's not to be underestimated and you you can't just, you know, pick yourself up and move on. It forces you to go in, go deep within yourself. It forces you to question yourself. It forces you to question society and it forces you to really question about what you're willing to tolerate and what you're not. And, you know, all in the process of really just shattering your sense of belief within yourself, your sense of belief with in what um, other people, your sense of belief in, I guess, society as well. It kind of breaks down a lot of different barriers, that betrayal. But, you know, you can get stuck in the woe woe is me, I'm a victim, why did this all happen? Or you can use it as a really pivotal moment in your spiritual growth. How damaging can cheating be? It is as damaging as you allow it to be as so much as it pertains to this, these expectations that you've created around your relationship. 
that this person is going to be responsible for your happiness yeah that you have your whole life planned out and they've betrayed that dream that you've created for your family and also there can be a sense of like ownership over somebody else's body and experience and for them to go and share that with somebody else that can feel very like um a breach of your intimate sort Mm -hmm. of um Mm -hmm experience with that person like oh well I'm not special anymore because they're sharing what's mine you know Mm. with somebody else his dick's been with somebody some other woman so it's not my dick anymore you know that's that's kind of the experience that a woman might have and vice versa for a man if his Mm. if his partner's been with somebody or men and men and women and women you know is that that intimacy is no longer theirs alone mm. and that they're not special anymore. And, um, well, what's the point? That's kind of. And then we've got to look at whether, you know, uh, monogamy is realistic as well. I am definitely a monogamist, <laughs> but you know, there is a lot of weight to the conversation that people aren't supposed to be with one person for their entire mm. life that you learn from being with different people, having relationships with different people and, this conversation I'm not very well versed at, but I feel like it is important to bring up and uh, it kind of makes me feel a little bit sick, to be honest, but that's okay. <laughs> this is growth, isn't it? <laughs> growth. Um, but, you know, that maybe we're not supposed to be with some, one person our entire lives and we're creatures that are supposed to experience all that life has Maybe to we're not, you know, that's not the point. The point is, is that we can experience flavors of relationship and all kinds of relationships. It doesn't have to be um, like there's not one person. We've talked about soulmates and twin flames and all of that before. There's not one person for you and that's it till you die. That's not the point. But as, as well, you can have all kinds of growth experiences and learning experiences from all kinds of relationships. Like, some of my relationships with my best girlfriends are some of the most intimate and vulnerable relationships mm. that I have. And I feel really safe and the only thing is, is I'm not banging them, you know? So that goes back to that point you said that, and I think that is a big problem and something I had to examine as well is a lot of the pain and the hurt in the fallout of infidelity is that I expected my fiance to have been responsible for my happiness and security Mm. and love and family. And that's what I was saying earlier as well. I had big expectations on somebody that couldn't Mm. deliver them. And um, there's a problem with that. Someone isn't going to be all of those things to you. They're not going. And and that is something that I have to really examine moving forward and going into other relationships. It's entirely unrealistic to expect one person to fill every single person. And then on top of that, your ecosystem for your life is built on the idea that fulfillment is outside of yourself. And so then you create this really fragile, fragile ecosystem, which depends on the world around you being arranged just so instead of realizing that you know your deserving power and your self-worth is actually built from the inside and ripples out into your relationships my teacher always says something because she's just a bucket of endless wisdom is that we don't get fulfillment from our relationships we find fulfillment within ourselves and then within our relationships we share our fulfillment love that yeah, so do I, because it takes us away from this idea that somebody else completes you and mm-hmm. that they are more complementary to your life. And um, I think that's just a much healthier way because then if the world moves around you, 
they're not going to crumble. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me. I completely crumbled into a thousand million pieces because I didn't have that foundation within myself. And, and Mm -hmm. that is going back to that point I made that examining your role and your responsibility. Well, I didn't have any of that. And now that, well, I hope wouldn't happen again in my life because I've spent years now building that back up. So I think that's a really important point to note. Okay, for our final our final topic, which I'm really excited to chat about, <laughs> is ghosting. Yep. Woo! I just put a story on my Instagram and I had like 17 replies about, oh, I've been ghosted, I've been ghosted. I'm like, freaking heck. I'm well, a come, ghoster. I'll, well, I'll straight up admit. <laughs> well, that almost relates to our first point about it being an avoidant attachment. I feel yeah. like that ties in very nicely. <laughs> well, not nicely, but you get what I mean. I know. I have been ghosted many a times and I have ghosted. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes. Yeah. So I put it to the people. I put it in Insta poll and 31% of respondees said they'd ghosted someone. And a staggering- I was one of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and a staggering 69% said they'd had someone ghost them. Mm-hmm. Then I did another one and I said, have you though been ghosted and been the ghostee? That was a separate mm-hmm. poll and 63% of people said they've had someone ghost them and they've also ghosted someone. So that I'm in that category. I've done both. Because you would okay. think, oh, it's happened to me. I'm not going to go do that to another person. Eh. I feel like this is a really important topic because dating uh-huh. these days is bloody brutal and ghosting is just part and parcel of dating whether we like it or not. It happens. I Let me think. One two, three, four, um, since, oh, October, November last year, I've gone on four first dates and I've been ghosted after every single one of them because you <laughs> never heard from the person again. Um, so that, that's really fun to admit. <laughs> but, I don't know why I'm laughing at you right now. <laughs> but, but, and here is the but. Yeah, it's really okay. fun. My, my, my self-worth is at an all-time high. Um, <laughs> but here's the fun part. I also didn't contact them afterwards. Actually, one of them I did. So who did the ghosting? You or them? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Exactly. And then that then delves into our expectations of men and women, what we expect from the other sex because they are men and because we are women, what are we expecting? Mm -hmm. And my belief is very old school that if the man wanted to talk to you, he would. I I just think that if this guy had this fun time with me on this date, he would want to speak to me afterwards and Mm. people will probably fight me on that. And that's okay. You're entitled to your opinion, but it's just always a belief I've had. When I speak to many of my male friends, they say, yep, I, if I, you know, my, I've chatted to my brother about this as well. It's like, if I like you, I will contact you. And I think there's a little bit avoidant of me. It's like, well, I don't want to put myself out there with the knowledge that you haven't contacted me, which probably means you don't actually like me and I could get an awkward, hey, look, I'm just not feeling it. And I'd almost rather never hear from that person again than put up with the message of it's not you, it's me, which just would make me feel sick. So 
it's a rabbit hole ghosting. And it's also really brutal because I think as well, if a first date you can get over pretty easily, but I think if you've gone on a few dates with this person and then you never hear from them again, it really shatters your illusion or your belief in what you experienced in the relationship. And then it also means that are we all cowards? Are we all cowards that just, we're not willing to put words to our feelings or is it a culture now that we don't even have to do that anymore because we're not accountable? Most of these people we've met on apps. We're not accountable. We don't have set, we don't have similar friendship circles. We will they will just disappear like the ghosts they probably always were. There's just so many questions and I need you to answer all of them. Okay. <laughs> I think this comes back to what I was talking about in the first segment about effective communication. And firstly, how are we being uh, emotionally brave with our communication? So like if you're genuinely feeling like you had a great time with someone, then being emotionally brave and not buying into these societal beliefs, then a man needs to to respond to you first or whatever it is, the story that you're telling yourself and being emotionally brave. And we need needing to change the narrative about, you know, communication as a whole. I think technology these days and how people are meeting each other is not necessarily wrong, but it also, it's very easy for people to hide behind this, mm. this digital age where we can really quickly unfriend and unfollow mm. people if we want Block. to, you know, just yep. get them out of our life. You know, um, there's a little bit of anonymity when it comes to um, dating online, I suppose. Um, and then I think the attachment that you have, you know, I, people, okay, I'm not going to like generalize here, but I'm going to generalize here. Is <laughs> <laughs> that people start dating with a whole bunch of fucking expectations. Now that's not to say that you want to just willy nilly date and, and hope for the best and hit and hope and, and be an unconscious dater and hope that you, you know, hit the jackpot with somebody. But at the same time, there's very little curiosity and there's a lot of pressure and expectation that you're going to go on a date and you're going to hit it off immediately because we have mm. these Disney fantasies totally. about love instead of, you know, and that expectation can be very heavy. And so then there's shame, of course, when they don't reply to us, what's wrong with me? You know, instead of just realizing, hang on, I didn't fucking enjoy myself with them either. That's exactly the point I was going to bring up. And the reason I probably never contacted them is because I don't want to be rejected by someone I didn't even really like in the first place anyway. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't want to get this message by someone. I didn't know if I don't even wanted to go on a second date with you regardless. So we're putting all of this meaning behind Mm. this instead of actually just looking at, you know, removing some ignorance and looking at the truth of things and the truth of the matter is without any emotionality attached to it. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy my time with them and they probably didn't really enjoy my time with me and happy. Thank you more please of, Mm. you know, bringing in more aligned people, you know, and keeping what we wanted from that experience and leaving the rest you know, data collecting, that's what I like to call dating. And that's the thing with the apps and apps slash online dating is, as you said, it goes back to this fantasy that we can build around somebody. All we've got to go off is a couple of, are a couple of pictures, their job mm-hmm. and their age. <laughs> like you can construct a whole narrative around that. And if the job sounds good enough and impressive enough, and the age is in the bracket you kind of like, mm. and the pictures look good enough, you're like, okay, great. Tick, tick, tick. But most of the time, the people that find this line are like happily ever after love, or at least just 
long-term commitment, AKA long-term commitment. Yeah. They've usually met them really organically through work or they've met them through there's someone that they've been friends with for a long time. And they're the kind of people that may have swiped left on, on that particular person had they been dating years, you know, been in the yeah. dating field years later. Um, so, you know, the stuff that we're seeking on these apps isn't necessarily the stuff that is the stuff of long-term relationships and we're seeking um, external parameters rather than imagine if you could swipe on somebody, you know, you could actually we see actually who someone was and you could see yeah. what their experiences were and, and what they believe in and what they're passionate about. I don't know if the dating apps would go that well. Cause it's not I think, dream. I think um, I know for 100% certain that there are some people that are on dating apps and dating apps are not the problem. That is not the problem. But there's people on there who intrinsically don't trust that nature is organizing things for them. Love that. And they have this, yeah, they have this fear that they're never going to meet some. How am I ever going to meet somebody because <laughs> I only work or I'm a mom or whatever this narrative that you tell yourself is. Instead of trusting that nature is already organizing, you don't need to be in a relationship with a thousand people. You just need to find one person that compliments you very well and that, you know, blah, 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 till death does part and then you die. Um, that is just so true. Whenever I find myself getting too cut up in the apps, which I've deleted all of them, it's because I'm not believing that anything is at work or at play for me. And I, oh, I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, and, and that is disconnecting you from the source of belief and well, believing that, that, that universe is, the universe is working for you, that there is a divine plan at play and you will attract what you will attract when you're ready to attract it. And yes. So what I'm so glad that you brought up that point. And the narratives that you can tell yourself as well, you know, after being ghosted on all these dates, my stories that I repeat afterwards is obviously they weren't strong enough or willing enough or man enough, whatever that means to handle me because I'm hard mm. to love because I've got a child because I've got baggage because I've got a, B, C, D in E and F and they obviously, you know, the, that's the problem is that I'm hard to love and they just, you know, they couldn't handle that. And that's great that I know that now, you know, better than like, you know, these are the kinds of things that then run through your head. And then it cements this belief in, I know with me that, okay, it's because I'm hard to love. Yeah. And then that does make me hard to love because I believe that in myself and that's. Yeah. And that's really the experience that you're bringing, you know, that's the experience that you're trying to prove true in your life. And then the opposite would be like, for example, someone like me, who's avoidant. If I got ghosted, I'd be like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. And withdrawing from, not to say that I would get hurt, but I have no attachment to the outcome of that. And I think that's a really great attitude to have when you move into dating is just not being attached to any outcome, being yeah. curious and having this idea, like, let's see. And then like this, even this belief, and I wanted to round, I wanted to circle back around to this part where people were like, Oh, how am I going to meet somebody? And I'm going to meet, meet someone and blah, blah, blah. And I want to say that if you are not, able to be emotionally vulnerable and emotionally brave. And this is not just in conversations with people in terms of like, you get invited to a dinner with a group of random friends, or you get invited to a networking event and you're like, Oh no, 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 you know, whatever. 
uh, I just like my Sunday nights in by myself. I like my weekdays, you know, by myself. If you're not actually putting yourself there in situations that are very harmonious for you, not, not forcing yourself to mm. put, you know, to be put in every kind of dating situation, potential going to bars and nightclubs and all sort of shit. But if you are not connecting with people, of course you're not going to fucking meet anybody. So true. If you're not connecting with people at work, if you're not, you know, we are wired for human connection with, we have to remove the attachment to the outcome, but we are wired for human connection. And so we have to be willing to put ourselves in a position where we are messaging people. I've had friends meet people through Instagram DMs, sliding into their DMs. Mm-hmm. I've had friends who have met people at work. I've had friends who have connected with friends from childhood. You know, the, the amount of ways that you can meet somebody is endless, but you have to be open to connecting with somebody in the first place. And, and you have to believe it too. You have to believe it's yeah. out there for you. And I think that's what gets attracts so many people to those apps is they've, they've lost that belief. So therefore they're not, it's just attracting all these kind of, you know, if you think of a magnet, you know, the, 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 if you like attracts, like it repel. Yeah. But if you, you put two or that are the same, I'm so bad at physics and shit. Um, you know, it <laughs> repels and that's almost what you're doing. You're attracting these, a, a number of people who all are going in it with the belief that it doesn't really exist what they're looking for, but I may as well just try this. So what do you yeah. think the outcome is going to be? Um, ghosted every every day don't maybe say. we even need to drop the language ghosting because the reality is is you went on a date and it didn't work out that's it mm. and then we want to <laughs> label know? it we want to label it we want to give it some purpose i want to tell everyone what a dick this person was you know that yeah, i want to feel included in a society like oh yeah i've been ghosted and like oh and then we can relate over being ghosted by people and what dicks men or women are and blah 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 so I think we need to just drop the language and, and just get back to the truth. And the truth is, is I went on a date and it didn't work out for either of us. I didn't hear from them. And the other part of that is how are we being vulnerable with our, with our communication and being emotionally brave? If we did really vibe and jive with somebody, let them know, no attachment to the outcome. They might come back and be like, yeah, I didn't feel the same. Okay, cool. Have mm-hmm. a great life. And, and you know, you're at least building comfort with that. Um, but then the third thing is, is that I think ghosting is also a withdrawal tactic where people, certainly for me, I've felt extremely uncomfortable with, um, letting somebody down or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, feeling like I'm hurting somebody's feelings. So it's better Um, to disappear. You feel like it's easier just to disappear. So it's just easier radio silence to me, but actually radio silence for the other person means that they start to create all of these um, ideas. You know, they they start to imagine the problem rather than me just being like, look, it just, you know, wasn't, it wasn't, um, the vibe wasn't bright or the energy wasn't there. I wasn't really feeling it's got nothing to do with you, but we're just not a match. But we really, again, with every, with all kinds of suffering that we experience in every relationship in our lives, whether it be with ourselves or others, when we start to make it about ourselves and we start to over-identify with our ego structure and the beliefs that we've created for ourselves, we're always inevitably going to cause ourselves some kind of suffering because that's just the way we're wired. Mm. So we really need to just be like, let go of attachment, surrender and trust that something bigger and better is coming our way, you know? And I try and look at it as like as well, oh, better you know now. Better I just wasted a couple of hours of one night than, 
you know, invest any more time and energy to something that obviously was just a dead end anyway. Like I think there's a way of flipping it around to just being like, okay, good riddance. See you next. Bye. And open that space up for someone that truly wants to be there and is deserving to be there. And people who have been in a relationship with somebody and then they just suddenly don't hear from them again, they would have, I would say that the status quo would be to be like, oh, he's a fucking asshole or she's a fucking asshole. I don't mean to use genders here, Um, but they're a fucking asshole and I never heard from them again, blah, blah, blah. Instead of actually looking objectively and unemotionally at what's going on for the other person, Mm -hmm. you don't need to do this, but this is the truth, is that they're avoidant. They feel extreme discomfort with uncomfortable relationship, uh, uncomfortable conversations, just starting to take a different perspective. If you want a different result, you've got to look at it in a different way. And that would just be so healing for you because if you start making like, he's an asshole and, and I've been because I'm shit girlfriend and, yeah. and how could he do this to me? And, Oh, you know, what does that say about me as a person? Just being like, okay, well, they're obviously very uncomfortable with relationships. They're not the person for me. Uh, they they don't know how to communicate. Maybe they are a coward. That's okay. That's just their state of consciousness. That's got nothing to do with you. You know, we need to start thinking a little bit more critically about what's going on in a big picture, in a whole round full picture, rather than a very individualistic tunnel visioned sort of spectrum. And I think I almost feel like every topic we discuss circles back to self-worth, which was our very mm-hmm. first topic of our very first juice episode we did together. Yeah. And it all just goes back to that. And that's why I felt like I deleted all the apps and I've kind of given all that a rest because it's like, where is this coming from? Is this coming from a place of need? I need to find someone because yeah. if I don't have someone, I feel like this. Or is it, or is it coming from a really genuine place? And when you f- discover that it's coming from you wanting to escape or you wanting to feel a hot part of yourself that you well, haven't Because you don't trust to- the universe. Exactly. That needs to go circle back and go back into within yourself. And obviously there's a little bit more work that I have to do and anyone listening who resonates might have to do within themselves, within their own sense of worth, sense of self-love and sense of um, unease with being the sense of discomfort with being alone. Where's that coming from? Why is it still there? Um, and I think it just highlights where the work still needs to be. Yeah. And that like, honestly, that's a good point is work always needs to be done when you start projecting your experience outwards instead of inwards. Yeah. That is, that is a perfect like sign that there is some healing that needs to be done in your life the minute that the blame and the responsibility starts being projected outside of yourself yeah that means that there is some instability within you that needs healing strengthening and loving and self-worth and deserving power really needs to be um to work on because fulfillment is not outside there i'll say that till i'm fucking blue in the face fulfillment is not outside of yourself fulfillment is is inside fulfillment is found within and then you allow that to ripple out of you love that what a beautiful note to finish on okay bye brilliant thanks bye (laughs) thank you honey you were brilliant once again as i've said i could listen to you speak and for hours and hours more but i'm sure that um everyone is sick of us by now after an hour this is a long (laughs) one well i don't know how long we've been recording for but i don't really know it's been a long time between so i feel like i know it's a good catch-up well thank you once again um girl enjoy your day 
And we'll I will. Very soon. All right. love. Love you, love you, love you. Love Mwah. you, bye. Mwah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Juice with Moni Barry, and I hope you liked it and got something out of it. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can find Moni at Monique Barry underscore. As always, you can find me at Elizabeth O'Neill. And I know I say it every week, but if you have a spare minute, I'd be so appreciative if you could hit five stars, leave a review and hit subscribe. That helps boost the podcast and will mean it'll land in the earphones of people who perhaps really need it. So I'd be very, very, very appreciative. Have a wonderful rest of the week. I'll be back on Thursday with another midweek squeeze. Can't wait to chat then. Bye, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.